Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Well, if you're interested in following along, open in your Bibles to page 848. No, you may not have the same Bible as I do. (laughs) I used to say that all the time in Nebraska because when this Spirit-Filled Life Bible came out, almost everybody in the church bought it, and I was using a a different version. And so I was forced to change based on the biblical illiteracy of that church. And and, uh, so now, you know, you guys are all so much better than that that that, uh, I don't have to. So anyway, Proverbs chapter 17 is, is where we are today. If you'd like to join us, let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful. We recognize that without you, Father, not only do we not get to see what heaven looks like, we also don't get to see what earth looks like according to your plans. As we look through your word, Father, we see that the earth and your people are meant to be different, that we create our own culture, that we create our own environment, That we, through the eyes of the Spirit, see things so differently that it causes us to affect the world's progress. Father, we know that you use humans to move your plan along. And we thank you for being a part of that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm always intrigued by the process that we as Christians find ourselves in. And occasionally what happens in all of our lives, probably, but occasionally what happens in my life is that I recognize that some of what I'm seeing uh, or even walking through or, or doing my best to understand, some of that just doesn't align itself perfectly with God's intent in his word. And, and so I have the same questions that you guys do. You know, why are we at this place? How come God doesn't do something? Uh, and all of those kinds of things. And without thinking for Solomon, I, I, I do wonder whether or not he had that same principle. Because at his disposal was worldly riches and power beyond anything anybody could have ever imagined. Now, not to say that all of us are independently wealthy and have all this wealth and power, but think of this. As a spirit-filled Christian, you have at your disposal today amazing wealth and amazing power. You live in that same, same principle that Solomon had, that at our disposal, so to speak, is an amazing picture of God's intent God's chosen nation, Israel, which was the, the position that, that Solomon was in charge of, and the church is that similar principle. So when you read the book of Proverbs, you should pull out those one-liners because I believe that God designed for this to be simpler than we make it. Occasionally, we make what happens in the world and our response to it a collection of works Well, God, I've prayed, how come this? Or God, your word says this, but how come are we facing this? And so I just want you to understand or try to understand or process with me that God really did intend for this to be simpler than we make it. We make it extremely complicated. And because of the complication, we oftentimes are looking for formulas rather than relationship. 
And when we find those formulas, we think that if we do everything right, everything will work out right. In fact, if you've been a Christian very long, you've probably said something similar to this to God. Well, God, I prayed and I've lived for you. We've actually told God what we've done in response to why aren't things happening the way we want them to. Why aren't, why isn't the word uh, uh, quite as, as powerful as we'd like it to be? In fact, God, why are our circumstances so difficult for us to process? So, as we move forward and we get into the tail end of Proverbs, you're going to see some of that in how, in how the writers and, and specifically Solomon addressed that. So notice in chapter one, we start, or chapter 17, verse one, we started here last, last week, and it's as better as a dry morsel with quietness and a house full of feasting with strife. He begins to show us that some of the circumstances that we go through like strife. Now, don't raise your hands, but I'm assuming that a great number of you have experienced some level of strife in your home. Where maybe, are you all laughing out loud? You shouldn't sit so close to the front because then I can look and see. Anyway, we've had some level of strife in our house. And in some ways, we've had that level of strife. And we said, what do we do? And then we come up with whatever the plan is. And the plan is really simple. There should be an appropriate quietness inside of us that trusts what God is attempting to do in the people that we have strife with. You understand that if you don't like the way your, your, your spouse is or your children are or your grandchildren are, that God is still at work in their life. And He's trying to do things that are probably above and beyond anything you could ever come up with. Right? And so I just want to kind of put out there for your consideration what does it mean to have a dry morsel with quietness? What's He trying to get across to us? There's a certain stillness inside of us that reflects what God is doing in us. It's really difficult to trust when you're so stirred up inside that your blood pressure is raised, that your anger is close to the surface, and everybody who isn't like you just really ticks you off. It's, it's tough to be quiet on the inside. In fact, if you keep processing that with me, when things happen that you have absolutely no control over, it's difficult to be quiet, to have some level of quietness on the inside of us. And so again, I just wanted to point that out to you and say, here's the direction we're going to go. Look at verse number three. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold. There is a certain level of heat that comes up in all of our life during the refining process. You can take this literally. If you want to refine gold, you have to heat it up pretty hot. And in some ways, the process, it's actually called proving or proofing. And the, the, the hotter you get gold, for example, the, the more pure it becomes, the higher carat weight that it becomes. This is just natural stuff now. And the more valuable it is per ounce. They would have understood this. Okay, So is he talking about, because not, I mean, I don't know how many of you have ever went gold digging. <laughs> 
and got a sack full of dirt that you took to a smelting or to a refiner and threw it in the fire and waited to see if there was any gold in it. See, we've not done that. Or I don't think you have. I mean, there's actually, uh, uh, in Arkansas, uh, there's an there's a area down there where the largest diamond in the United States was found, something like 40 carats in this, you know, redneck field in Arkansas. We've not done that. We've not turned over those things. But yet, when he says these things to us, we, we probably should kind of kick in our, our brain here and go, wait a minute here. If he's talking about silver and I've never done that, if he's talking about gold and I've never done that, then how can I take the principle that's related here and attach it to my life? See, when Peter had this, he said, why are you so surprised by the fiery trial that you go through? Now, I'm not advocating that you accept fiery trials face value and hope for them. I'm asking for you to consider in the refining process of your life when the fiery trial hits, it's entirely possible that God sees the gold in you. Thank you for your enthusiasm. I knew you'd love it. The heat gets turned up. Why? You don't turn the heat up on a stack of rocks. You turn the heat up on the potential of the gold. That's what happens in our life. Now, here's how we respond occasionally. We complain about the fire, which was never God's intent. We complain about the dirt that's piled around us, right? I always try and tell people that, that when a complaint, tell pastors, when a complaint comes your way, packaged inside the ton of dirt of personal opinions. You understand that many times the church is governed by personal opinions. We don't like green chairs. Well, congratulations. Let me point out to you that this many chairs today costs about $30,000. If you would like a different color of chairs, we can help you with that. You say, well, what if I want pink chairs? We're just not going to let you buy them. Get your pink chairs and take them home. But we might paint the walls in accordance with whatever color of chairs that you got. Why? Because personal opinions, while not what governs us, are important in the grand scheme of things. People enjoy being heard. Right? So what's inside of what you hear in the way of complaints or, or condemnation or, or even criticism? Right? I mean, how many of you line up for criticism? Isn't that fun? But inside of that, we should attempt to find the ounce of value in it. What we pay attention to is the ton of pain that it creates. That was never God's intent. I tell young pastors all the time, if your feelings are on your sleeve, just keep in mind what was on your sleeve as you were growing up. See, not very many people. You're all looking at me going, what does that mean? How many ever wiped your nose on your sleeve? Was it of any value at all? No, it was just on your sleeve. right? Where you're, you've, you've got to be able to process 
what happens out here through a quietness and an understanding of the fire that happens in here. You're not going to survive a difficult world without embracing to some degree what God intends to get out of the fire. Okay. It says the refining pots for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. That's a comparative statement. What's he saying? He's saying the same fire that creates pure gold and pure silver also tests your heart. What's he looking for? Come on, God is a loving father. How many of you as fathers or mothers have ever had that mama bear, papa bear moment where you were by golly going to protect your children? Where'd you get that? God just doesn't allow fire, doesn't participate in this process without seeing the value that comes from the fire. It's never a popular message. I, you know, sorry. Verse number seven. Excellent speech is not becoming to a fool. Excellent speech. It doesn't look right or sound right to a fool, much less lying lips to a prince. Now you can remember that there's a natural process that's taking place here. Solomon as king is training his children as princes. So that's what he's, he's saying there. Notice in verse number 9 it says, He who covers a transgression seeks love. Seeks love. But he who reports a matter separates friends. I'll just let that one sit with you. You can figure that one out yourself. Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. Now, don't see yourself as the person offering the rebuke. See yourself as the person receiving the rebuke for just a second. Look what it says. Rebuke is more effective for a wise man. When correction or rebuke comes your way, how many of you are thrilled by it? Probably none. We don't like it. But notice it says that a rebuke, you see it in verse number uh, 10, rebuke is more effective for a wise man. If the rebuke is God-ordained or God-directed, wisdom receives it and puts it in place. Okay? In one of my first pastor meetings way back, I made a casual, off-the-cuff, conversational tidbit at the end of one of our meetings we're getting ready to go in to, to to go to lunch and and one of the pastors stayed after and he's looking at me and and he's I, now I know he was struggling to say something to me because what I said he heard poorly how many of you have done that when you get rebuked for what somebody misheard in your mind wasn't your intent you didn't want him to take it that way whatever nonetheless what I said was inappropriate in the context that I said it. And it wasn't him hearing it wrong and me being able to blame the the person of the rebuke. It was me being able to say, you know what? He's right. This is more important than the immediacy of a laugh or the immediacy of, oh yeah, I've been through that and they understood this sideways comment of getting everybody to understand we're all walking on the same road. That, That rebuke that hit me like I said, this has been 11 years ago now in dealing with pastors. The backstory is that I spent almost 20 years 
asking God to start that ministry. Okay? I mean, we tried, we called people. I mean, people ran for me like I had the plague. Um, all, all, just never happened until two refining things happened in my life, one in October, one in November of a particular year, a number of years ago. Had two refining experiences. My first meeting, which was three months later, so November of this particular year, all of a sudden we just sent out the same kind of letters that we sent out before and we called pastors and they were all on board. I went, hey, that worked easy. Well, it didn't work easy. We'd been working at it for years. Had, had no takers until, and now I can look back with some level of clarity, until those two refining moments. Well, there was more refining to go because that rebuke that I had, and it was very kind and it was very gracious, but it, it marked me to recognize the value of what God had us doing. See, oftentimes what happens when we're rebuked, we take it personally rather than corporately. If you're rebuked, there is a corporate potential in all of this. So, so you know, I see Larry Hilbert you know, I, I keep driving by the Eckley Bar, and I keep seeing his, his pickup there at 9 o'clock at night, and I'm driving by. And I'm thinking, what in the world? Why is his pickup there? I can't think of any good reason. You know, months go by, and I just keep thinking about that. And, and so I go up to him, I say, just, just catch. Now, this has never happened, and I picked on Larry because he and I are very good friends, and he doesn't care if you think what I'm telling you is the truth because he knows it's not. So I can pick on him, okay? And, and so, you know, I go up, and I just talk to him and say, hey, Larry, man, your pickup's at the bar. You know, like, like every night, what's, what's going on there? Okay, inside of that is a rebuke. Here's what could happen. Well, my wife and I are fighting. So I thought I could come here without any risk of being seen and blow off some steam. Nothing wrong blowing off steam, okay? You can blow off steam all you want. But remember that we live in a connective body. And that what we do and how we are has some reflection on all of us. And wisdom says, I would never hurt you for my own benefit. So the rebuke, right, is effectively received by a wise person rather than a person who receives, as a fool, receives a hundred blows. Now remember, blows don't have to be physical. You could actually point out by assumption the error of somebody's activities. Well, you shouldn't do that. It's wrong. You're going to hell in a handbasket. See, you can give them a hundred verbal blows as well, right? But they're not going to be effective as you might think they were. Verse number 12, let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. This, this talks about a comparative danger that's involved. You know, in the, in the mountains, if you separate a wild animal from its children, you have done something that will put your life in danger. There was a story on the news recently where a mama moose ran down some guy up in the mountains of Colorado, knocked him down and pawed him. He had big old scars on his chest and, and that kind of stuff because he got in between a mama moose at 2,000 pounds and her baby. Not a good place to be. Notice the comparison. He says, 
let a man meet a bear robbed of his cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Our world is full right now of foolish folly. Full. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. We need to have a position of wisdom that understands the danger of meeting that. And you don't have to go and, and, and conflict with it all the time. And that's what, remember, Solomon is teaching his children through this. And they're leaders. They're, they're going to be rulers, potentially. And so all of this kind of stuff, the principles that we take from this, become really, really important. And what many of us do is we don't even stay aware of this passage. And the minute that we see foolishness, see, here's some of my best foolishness. One of the worst charities in America is the Society for the for the prevention of cruelty to animals. They don't, they don't spend their money on animals. Sorry. You say, well, but they put those commercials. What commercials? The ones with the little skinny dying dogs. Right? Oh, it's horrible to watch that. Right? But the money never gets there. The same people who line up to save the puppy dogs are murdering babies over and over again to the tune of 4,000 a day. We can't catch tuna with nets anymore because we get dolphins at the same time. And dolphins are like as smart as we are, right? Pretty soon they're going to learn how to talk. And boy, will we have a great Dr. Doolittle world. That's a fool in his folly. You say, well, yeah, you just can't let that go. You're not going to convince them because they're moved by emotion. Emotion will not move the line spiritually. Are you with me? See, we think we're going to move the line by convincing people. It will not move the line spiritually. Only spiritually discerned spiritual stuff moves the line. Which sometimes means you're entirely quiet except for the raging prayer that's on the inside of you. You don't have to say something. Skip down if you would. Um, verse 16. Why is there in the hand of a fool the purchase price of wisdom? Since he has no heart for it. Now let's see if we have this one. He's essentially saying that all of us have the same principal value to purchase wisdom from God. But in the heart of a fool, he has no value of it, and so won't spend his money that way. Okay? Now, you say, well, how does that happen? It happens through society all the time. All the time. You understand that certain activities in the world today are highly likely not helpful for a lot of people. But they will spend their money on that rather than pursuing the wisdom. Now you say, well, wisdom doesn't cost anything. Well, sometimes it kind of does. Here's why. I'm not saying that New Life is the only church to go to, but you spend three or four dollars driving out here on a Sunday morning at nine o'clock. You took the price that you had for potential of wisdom and you spent it getting here. Some of you, if you're like me, have a Bible that might have cost in today's dollars more than $100. 
and you're holding it in your hands. And in some cases, you have a Bible like this, but it's at home. And when you open it, it still creaks in the back. Because it hasn't been opened. The price of wisdom. See, it's not like God just pours this stuff out or puts it in your mailbox. It's spiritually discerned. It takes a spiritually discerning heart to even make it to a church. It takes a spiritually discerning heart to process what this book says. I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm saying you have the cost of wisdom, the price of wisdom in your hand. How are you going to spend that? The number of people who I've dealt with who have said something along these lines, I'd love to come to your church, but it's just so far. I'd love to eat, but it's a long ways to the grocery store from my house. I mean, duh. We do that all the time in our process. I'd love to get gas, but I don't have enough gas to get to the gas station. We've had people who are traveling and they'll stop. We had one, one person, this is Jeremy's story, I should let him tell it. One person in a kind of a motorhome pulled up here and they were on their way north. They were going to Holyoke. They drove 17 miles out of their way to ask us if we had gas. Here? Like, like on the property? We don't even mow our own lawn. We don't even have lawnmower gas here. The, maybe this is lost on you, but how many of you know how far it is from Ray to Holyoke? I think it's 34 miles. It's 17 miles from Ray to the church. And if you're going to go to Holyoke, you've got to go back. So you drove 17 miles to find out if there's gas at this church, only to drive 17 more miles back, when if you were going to Holyoke, you might have just taken that investment of 34 miles and driven to Holyoke. Right? I mean, see, you all look at those things and go, that's just not wise. But when we take these things into the spirit realm and we recognize that there is in the hand of a fool the purchase price of wisdom. We all have, and I'm not saying that all of us are fools, but occasionally our process is foolish. Because we have the purchase price, right? I'm always amazed <laughs> that people can get up at six, in the clock, six o'clock in the morning on a Saturday to go do whatever they want. But Sunday's the only day they get to sleep in. I would like to have a train horn on my car. You know, have you heard that thing? It can be heard for miles. And I would like to drive my town blowing it <laughs> at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning. Get up and take the price that's in your hand to purchase wisdom and do something besides deciding it's okay to sleep in. And you say, but I'm tired. Okay. You're choosing to spend the price of wisdom to satisfy what you believe is going to benefit you. Right? Sleeping in, that's really going to benefit me. You. How many of you understand that there is no way on a, on a real rational basis physiologically to catch up on sleep. You, you can't. You, it doesn't get to carry over. Right? I mean, come on. See, that's what this is about.
Okay, let's, let's not. Let, let's just keep moving, shall we? <laughs> and don't you find these principles just fascinating? And, and when Solomon is teaching your kids, you know, why don't we have any scriptures in here, any things in here that says, now when you're the king, make sure and do this. These are just common things. But why are they in there? The possibility exists that every person, including someone destined to reign, misuses what God gives them. Let me say it to you again. A person destined to reign misuses what God gives them. By the way, you're destined to reign. We rule and reign as priests and kings in God. We're destined to reign. But what do we do with the price of wisdom that God puts in our hand? In some ways, we squander it. I told you I'm moving on. Verse 22. A merry heart does good like a medicine. A merry heart does good like a medicine. Now, you can say, okay, what does that mean, Pastor? What do you think it means? How many of you have ever had an attitude on and your attitude made you tired? It made you take a nap. It made you bite the very people that you love. It made you mishandle your money because you deserved a reward today because things have been going bad. Man, sometimes I just deserve a reward today, and I'm glad that I do not live close to a crumble cookie store. Or, what's the donut shop? Krispy Kreme. I love Krispy Kreme. That red light, when it flashes and it says hot, that is like a universal stop sign, man. Pull in there. Hallelujah, I deserve those things. And they give them to you free when they're hot like that. Go ahead. I have. Because now, thank you. All right, one guy gets it. He's clapping for me going, way to go, Pastor. That's great discipline. <laughs> Absolutely. Because how many of you know, if you go in to get one, you end up buying a... Dozen, yes. All right. Yes, sir. Most of the time it should be self-control. Yeah, yeah. Now you all have heard me say this before, but the fruit of the Spirit, whether you really realize it or not, is already in you. The only reason that we don't have self-control, right, or the only reason we don't have patience, or you pick the one you like, is because it's in you, but we resist it. We resist its manifestation. So again, you know, yeah, we have driven by uh, some of those, those places. And I'm not saying I'm just a super spiritual person, you know, that just drives by going, look what I did. Yeah. What I'm saying is pay attention to how this works in your life, right? Because here's the thing. Your merry heart will not be consistently produced by a fleshly activity. Chugga, 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 chugga. Okay, how many of you have had that fleeting moment where your family was sitting around the campfire singing Kumbaya? I mean, where, man, everything's together. It's so good. How long did it last? 
five minutes. Maybe it never happened. Why? Because we're distinct individual human beings with positions that we would like to express. And if you're a parent and you're expressing your position to your children, it, they are wired by God to be out on their own. And so they oftentimes, by foolishness, will resist your wisdom. Your children, as precious as they are, will resist your wisdom. Why? Because they're finding their own way, and it is way ugly to watch. My wife and I raised four sons. Because I was athletic, I kind of wanted them to be athletic. And so my first son got out of the hospital on my birthday, born on June 8th. Back in the olden days, you stayed for three days. He came home on June 11th. Okay? Nine or ten months later, he's walking. I'm going, this is really a good sign. He's walking early, right? So he'll be running early. So he'll run fast and jump high. Oh, wow, that's so good. I'm going to raise me up. You know, when, when you have a professional athlete in your family, the mom and dad get some of the benefits of that, right? I mean, they, they, they dress good at the, at the draft day. Anyway, as I'm processing that, I'm outside, you know, so happy. So I buy my, my little 10-month-old son a little plastic basketball because all good spiritual people understand that basketball is a spiritually discerned talent. <laughs> and he's out there walking around. And we don't have, in, in Nebraska where we live, we didn't have regular curves. We had them little sloping things. Did you know that children aren't born with depth perception? Have you ever, really, a kid just walking along? It happened today. Somebody's babysitting some, some of their, their nieces and nephews. And this little girl, she saw the little, little red, white, and blue stars that Lonnie put up on the communion table out there. Or at the, on the baptismal thing. They all ran down right at her eye height. She went over there to touch that and ran right into it. Bonk. She never even stopped. She just reached up and grabbed the stars. Smiled. All right. So my son, he walks off this, walks off this, 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 uh, a sloped curb like that with no depth perception. How many of you know he was not ready for the slope? He proved that he was a 10-month-old child learning how to walk, not proved that someday he would be a super athlete. See, that was my plan for him. He didn't necessarily resist that, but wisdom would tell you that if, all you, if you put all your, 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 your eggs in the basket of professional athletics... For your benefit, you might ought to touch God and figure out what's supposed to be happening. Right? It's just interesting. How do you get a merry heart? Do you get a merry heart, a merry heart by having what you think is supposed to happen, happen? Are you happy because everything goes according to your way? And let me just point out to you, if you've not had... The process where everything didn't go your way after going your way for a little while, then you're not really living. Because people will give you your way for a season. And then every once in a while what happens is a real live come to Jesus moment happens in our life. Circumstantial happiness is not what he's talking about here. But the hilarity of God's choice of us to be the vessels of his best. Do you find it funny that God would pick someone like you to pour his best out on? 
I mean, aren't there better people than you? Doesn't somebody deserve it more than you? See, that's how we process life sometimes. What I'm trying to get you to see is you'll get a merry heart if you realize that grace from God is never fair. It chooses you in your ugly, in your sin. It chooses you to pour out on you. And you say, well, God won't pour His grace. Now listen, God started pouring out His grace with Jesus the same way that He started pouring out His wisdom with Jesus. He didn't pour it out and say, whoop, we'll skip that one because he's not behaving right or she's not behaving right. That merry heart thing that he's talking about here is the recognition of what we have in God. Listen, you can be happy if you'll take the spiritual circumstances that God designed for you to operate in and live with that expectation in you. It'll make you crazy happy. Because even when your kids act up, You'll say, wow, God has a great plan for them. I may have told this story last week, but I'm still pretty impressed. And they're my grandchildren, so I get to tell stories. We had our twins, my third son's twins, for a week. Took them home yesterday. Actually, we had them for eight days. And you'll count like me when you do it, okay? So you say, well, just about a week. No, it was eight days. Just let me tell you, it was eight days. They're nine years old. They come with all nine-year-old issues, right? Saturday afternoon, they're texting their parents, I'm bored. They drove to our house, went to bed, got up on Saturday morning, and now there's nothing to do. I'm bored. Well, by the time Monday got around and their whole day was filled with swimming lessons and swimming at the pool because that was the agreement that they had. Oh, it was great. And of course, if you get nine-year-olds really tired, not only do they sleep reasonably well, but they live on the edge of their emotions because they're really tired, right? Okay, so we had all that. That's the background. Maybe Tuesday night, I had an outbreak of of skin disorder, okay, psoriasis or something like that. And it was hurting. I mean, it burned, it hurt, this big old scaly red scab on my elbow. And we had, I had purchased some medicine I thought would help. It wasn't helping. And we were praying, you know, all that kind of stuff. Tracy purchased medicine. I actually put diaper rash ointment on my elbow, okay, because somebody told me that would help. And so we're sitting around the table eating chicken nuggets or whatever we were eating. And I was kind of voicing the lack of a merry heart, right? Nothing's working, man. This is terrible. I am miserable. Brody, with the glasses, looks up and says, well, I could pray for it, Papa. Yeah, see, isn't that cute? I said, okay. He put his fork down, came around the table, laid his hands on my elbow. That'll give you a merry heart. And I thought, you know what? If he has a merry heart because he expects for God to do something about this, I should cooperate with this. And from that day forward, and if I could roll up my sleeve, I would, and show you that you couldn't tell where that stuff was. Now, you say, wow, is he anointed to be a healer or something? Can he do that? See, you're goofy because what God does is he gives us all that. 
But we think we've got to have somebody special. Because, see, we don't have a happy heart with what God has given us. A happy heart does good like medicine. See, most of us think that I just got to have circumstantial happiness. No. Are you kidding me? Don't you find it just almost laughable that God would choose us? I mean, wow. <laughs> but a broken spirit dries the bones. See, this is where those things that don't happen have a price tag inside of us. Where you think, well, you know, I prayed a hundred times and it's never happened. I don't know. I can't answer those questions. I can tell you having a merry heart is better than having a broken spirit. And believing in God and holding on to that. And you say, well, but pastor, it's never happened. I'm standing before you today as evidence that a kid can pray for you with a merry heart. And there are results. You say, well, I just don't believe that, pastor. It just, it just cleared up on its own. Okay, well then, coincidentally, it cleared up at the same time that he prayed. It didn't itch. I didn't use, I haven't used medicine since. It didn't itch. It didn't keep getting worse. I didn't sit around complaining about it, which was my problem, not theirs. But nonetheless, you, you get what I'm talking about. Let's keep going. Look down in verse number 27. He who has knowledge spares his words. I love this one because I'm a man of words. He who has knowledge spares his words. It really is a respectful consideration of words. And a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. You don't need me to explain that, do you? Some of us come to church with our best calm face on. But really, our life has us so stirred that we can't even quiet ourselves down to hear God's voice. Let me end with this one. Look at 18 and 1. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. Now let me help you with this. Isolation is a tool of the devil. Okay? Separating yourself is a tool of God. Jesus separated himself regularly to pray. Isolation, see... When, when Jesus separated himself, he was just more aware of God than he was of everybody else. When, the, when Satan se, uh, isolates you, you become more aware of your aloneness and the lack of relationship this way. Okay? So, well, I'm, how many, don't raise your hands. How many ever thought that whatever you're going through, nobody else could relate to? I mean, I've, I've done counseling for 40 years. People come on and, and I will say, okay, they'll tell me their story. And I go, okay, that's, that's great. Do you believe God can do that? And they'll, they don't answer that question. They say, but pastor, you don't understand. And then they'll tell me their story again. Because what they're going through is so unique. Those are always people that the enemy has isolated. Your situation is not unique. If you're kind of impoverished, welcome to the world. We've all been kind of impoverished before. We've all had those struggles. We've all had to make the same kinds of decisions. If you've ever had a wayward child, we've all had some wayward child issue. If you've ever had marital problems or housing problems or picked the, your car broke down at the most inopportune time, welcome to the real world, right? 
Notice what it says. A man who isolates himself, seeks his own desires. Do you know what the desire is? Isolation can cause you to be noticed and fill the human hole of recognition. How many of you were disappointed if you stopped coming to a church and nobody reached out to you and you said, well, I guess they don't miss me. See, Satan will isolate you from your church and then point out how bad your church is. You got to fight that. It's not that people don't notice. But if you need to be noticed and that's what's driving you, you see, you have to balance it, right? He rages against all wise judgment. Isolation is not wise. Amen? All right, keep reading in, in chapter 18 and following. I, I told you last week, two weeks, you know, we're going to speed this up and I've done really good at it. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for those nuggets, Father God, of wisdom that we find in your word. We just thank you, Lord, that those principles that we see in training came through Solomon, through the Holy Spirit, Father. We just thank you. They, they still apply today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.